You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, I love my church, and I not only love the church here in the great state of California and in the city of Elk Grove, but I also love the church in India. In fact, Matt Lingo and I are going to be traveling to India here in just a couple of weeks, and we're going to go out to the village that we sponsor uh, right there in India, where many of you in this room are sponsoring one-to-one on a monthly basis uh, children in India and providing food for them, providing clothing for them, providing education, the chance to hear the gospel. And it's just going to be a beautiful thing. But whenever you do international travel, and I don't know how often you do, but when you do international travel, particularly to a remote region like India, you've got to go to the doctor and you've got to get your travel checkups. You got to call into a travel nurse. You got to get your travel medications. And it's so important that you you do this, that you get your shots and you do the checkups with the travel doctor because you want to avoid major diseases or discomforts or infections. And there are a lot of times that you and I might overlook a checkup, that we just kind of go through life and we just overlook a checkup. I don't know about you, about how well you do with shots, but I'm, I'm pretty good. I can actually watch them give me the shot and it doesn't affect me. But in this room, how many of you overreact when you get a shot? Come on, be honest. Yes, all over the room, right? You overreact when you get a shot. How many of you overreact, maybe not at a shot, but when you get bad news? Yes, all over the place, people reacting badly to bad news. How many times when you get bad news, do you just try to control it? You try to take matters into your own hands. Do we have any, any control freaks in the room? Right. We want to like, make that experience better and try and be ahead of it. And what happens is we try to take matters into our own hands and organize the solution to the problem. Sometimes you and I run ahead of God to try to you know, handle this problem. Listen, what happens for you and I is that what goes on within us determines what's going to go on through us. Let me say that again. What goes on within you will ultimately determine what goes on through you. A number of years ago, I was uh, playing soccer in high school. And, and while in high school, I did not want to miss a game. I loved playing soccer. But there was this week where I had been sick for like four days. And, and I knew I had a game coming up. But I had been really, really sick. So that day, the rule was at school that you had to go to school for a certain number of hours to be eligible to play. Well, I'd been sick all week. So I convinced my mom when she came in the morning to give me a checkup, just how are you doing? I just convinced her that, man, I am feeling so much better. I am doing great. My mom said, well, hey, if at any point during the day you kind of need to do a self-checkup and you need me to come get you, I will, I will do that. And I was like, mom, I am good. Well, about second period that day, I'm doing horrible. I'm feeling awful, but I'm not about to go and call my mom. So I go that day. It starts raining in the afternoon. We drive out to a remote location. We play soccer against a school. I play the entire game and then get back on the bus. And on the way home, I actually get a little bit, I'm super feverish. I get a little bit delirious. And my friends on the bus were like, man, you were saying the weirdest stuff and you were shivering and you were asking questions. Well, we get home and I'm just a mess. And my mom just right away, she could just read it. 
that I had lied to her and went and played soccer. Well, when I got home, I, I went and I took off my jersey, and when I peeled it off, I had red spots all over my body, and we went to the doctor the first thing the next morning. I had actually gotten scarlet fever. Now, scarlet fever can lead to things like rheumatic fever or other brutal things when you're older uh, if, if you just let it keep going. So I, of course, then, by playing soccer, I had to be out like another four days. I couldn't be around people. It was, I was quarantined because I didn't listen to the importance of doing a checkup. And there are certain things that happened for you and for me that I gave my mom bad advice. I gave my mom a bad report. And because I did that, it led to further consequences for myself. I got her to believe something that was false so that I thought life would go better for me, but instead it took a turn for the worst. Paul is worried that there are people in the city of Colossae who are believing false theology, false reports. And so he writes this to them in Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It says this, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who has not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Paul gives an introduction, but he's concerned for the church. He's concerned that because of false theology or false convictions, false beliefs, that they would get off mission, that they would then live with mixed up priorities. They would follow false ideologies from the culture and then they would experience a nagging, ongoing emptiness on the inside. You see, that's what happens to you and I over time when we begin to believe the ideologies of our culture, when we begin to believe false philosophies, when we begin to get our priorities out of order, we realize that we're not happy. And so we ask questions like, why, why do I feel empty? Why am I having nagging unhappiness in me. Maybe you can't even put your finger on it. And you begin to say, well, what's wrong with me? Or what's wrong with my life? Or what's wrong with all the people around me who must be contributing to my personal unhappiness? Well, Paul didn't want the church to go there. And so the first thing, if you're taking notes today on your outline, you realize that Paul's going to encourage us that we need to check our priorities. The first of three smart checkups before you build up yourself, before you build up the church, the first of those three smart checkups is that you need to check your priorities. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says this, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted, built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And as we walk through this on your outline, I want to unpack that verse a little bit because I want you to understand what Paul is talking about with each of these different words that he uses as, by way of illustration. The first one is this, that you and I ought to continue to live your life in Christ. In other words, they've already accepted Christ. They've already taken a step of faith. But Paul is saying, don't let down. Don't pull back. 
Don't start off with Christ and end up with you. He's saying, continue to live your life with Christ. The next phrase he says is that you have been rooted. And I want to make a comment here that when he says you've been rooted, what he's actually talking about right there, when he says you've been rooted, what he's talking about is that it's an already done deal. Because of Christ, your faith has been rooted. It's been planted deep in the ground. You've, you've got roots. And so he's saying that has already happened. That's a completed work. However, he changes tone. Then he says that you are to be built up in Christ. We're rooted in Christ, which is a done deal, but we're to continually be built up. We're not just to sort of say, hey, we got roots, but we're going to stay real short. We got roots, but we're going to continue to need to be built up. Not only do we build ourselves up in the faith, but we continue to proclaim Jesus Christ and let the church itself grow as we are built up. Then he says this, Number four, continue to be strengthened in the faith. He's not saying you're already strong in the faith. He's saying don't stop because what's happened is you believed when Epaphras came and brought the word of God to you. You believed. But now it's easy to say, well, I believed. I put my faith in that. But now I'm going to buy back into the culture. I'm now going to just kind of ease off in my spiritual walk. And Paul doesn't want this young church to get misled or get off mission or for their lives to end up empty because they started off hot, but they ended up lukewarm or cold. He's saying, continue to be strengthened in the faith. And last, that they're then to overflow with thankfulness. Because of what's happened on the inside, that's going to be the overflow, right? The outside is going to be we continually give thanks to God because he loves us because of what he's done in us, that we are to overflow with thankfulness. So these are all things that he's saying, hey, as we look at a checkup, the first thing we want to do is check your priorities. But he starts off with our foundation, that you've already been rooted, that you are being built up, that you continue to be strengthened, that you're to overflow with thankfulness. That's the foundation. Now, what do we build on that? We build on that priorities. I mean, what would be a good gauge to see if these are really lived out in me? What would be a good gauge to find out, am I living like Paul wants the church in Colossae to live? How do I find out if these things are true in my life? Well, the way that we do that is we check our priorities. And on your outline, you've got a list of priorities. And I want to just highlight some of those for you. Uh, first of all, priorities in the right order, according to Scripture, is that the number one thing in your life, the number one thing in my life, the number one thing we want for our children is that they have an authentic relationship with God, that they're developing that, that they're building into that, that number one, that they can have a relationship with God, that your number one priority is that time with the Lord. It is you and God to strengthen your faith, to build up your faith. It's you with the Lord. Number two is your family. We kind of say it's God, and then the next institution he's given us to prioritize is our family, that we need that time together, that we need to love one another. And while families get messy, just like churches get messy, because families and churches are made up of people, amen, that in the same way our family is to be a top priority. Then we say your church, the body of Christ, being built up, continue to build that thing up, Paul is going to be talking about here, that our Church is a priority. Then we get finally all the way down, you get to your job, that what you do becomes a priority. And what, so often we put our job up above 
the relationship with God. We put our job above our family. In fact, we make an excuse saying my job is what provides for my family, so I'm going to elevate my job. And so you begin to think your job is who you are, and you've neglected who you are because you started believing the, the title on your business card. And God says who you are first and foremost is one who's been rooted in Christ. You are a Christ follower. You are one who is to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's your number one. But we get that mixed up, don't we? And then last, listen, then after all these good priorities, if we put the big ones in the bucket, then we find out that the last one is our recreation. But I got to be honest with you right now, we live in a culture that almost demands that our recreation drives the rest of our schedule. So many of you are driving your kids around to you know, millions of practices, and you're like, I want them to learn like good disciplines through practice. I want them to learn how to lose, and I want them to learn how to win and handle success or failure. Those are good things for them to handle, but what good are those things if they don't develop a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? What good are those experiences if those experiences physically come to the end for many, many of us who our bodies simply play out? We don't go on to play professional sports, but sometimes because of the message of our culture that we want to give our kids so many opportunities that we think more equals better. And the truth is they may be suffering in their priorities. They may be stressed out in their priorities. You might be stressed out in your priorities because you believe the culture. So how do we do it? We have to realign our life. We have to take a first checkup, and the first checkup, that's a smart checkup that you and I need to do, is to check our priorities. Now here's the beautiful thing. When you realign life and the importance, the priority of life in this order, when your priorities are set and the decisions are already made, that's the beautiful thing. When your priorities are set, the decisions are already made, even the big ones. So when it comes along that your your son or daughter has to play in a soccer thing and it's going to take you away completely from church, your decision is already made because you've set your priorities. When you get a great job offer, but it's going to negatively affect your your family or it's going to put added pressure or stress on things, you're going to be able to say, where does that fit in my priority? When you move to a new location, you're going to say, a priority in my life is the church because I love my church. And so, God, if you've relocated me, we've got to find a church because that is a priority right after our family. We need a place to build up and be built up and a place to celebrate and a place to serve. See, the beautiful thing is when you set your priorities straight, the decisions are already made, even the tough ones. Now, a lot of us operate off of not necessarily priorities, what we really operate on in our life are on convictions. You and I think, well, I need to have convictions about something, or I really feel convicted about this. And and I want you to understand that a conviction is not something you have. A conviction is something that has you. When you and I believe things and it becomes a conviction, our life gets driven by those convictions. It's not that I have conviction, it's that this conviction has me, and because of that, I operate out of that. Well, what happens when you and I begin to get our priorities out of order? We begin to reach for false convictions, and then what happens is, convictions are not something we have. Now we have false convictions, which have us, and it leaves our lives empty. 
out of balance, without priority, in a proper way. So the second thing we need to check, not only do we check our priorities, but the second smart checkup you and I make is that we check our philosophies. We check our philosophies. What are philosophies? They're ideas. They are behaviors by which you and I operate. They're the things that we believe, and because of the things we believe, then they're the things we do. And our culture is always throwing philosophies. You might hear them as slogans or catchphrases or sound bites or ideas. Uh, but you, all of a sudden, you begin to go, hey, that sounds like great advice. And then you begin to buy into it. The church at Colossae was starting to buy in to some false theology, some false philosophies. And Paul says this now as he really gets into his letter to this church. In verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness, the pleroma, right, that we talked about last week, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power, every authority. In him, you were also circumcised, not with the circumcision performed by human hands. Your whole self was ruled by the flesh that was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. What's he saying? Before you and I came to Christ, we were driven simply by the flesh. We'd hear a philosophy and it sounded good to our flesh, we would go with it. But that compulsion of our flesh now has an answer to it and it's called being led by the spirit of the living God. That we have a way out where before we were by compulsion obedient to our sinful state, the flesh. He says this, your whole self by, was by the flesh was being put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you and I are baptized, we are saying, my old self, my old life has been buried with Christ. I associate with Christ's burial, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that I now own that. It's not my work that leads me to God. But it's the work of God that saves me from my sinful state. But we hear philosophies all the time that we want to buy into. You hear them, I hear them. And we have to ask a question, like, is that philosophy, was it invented by people versus being established by God? That's where the scriptures become the grid through which we filter all the worldviews of our culture. This is the filter through which we, the grid through which we filter these slogans of our culture is the scripture. So let me give you, and you say, is it based on God's priorities and his order, or is it based on the world's priorities? Because the world has an agenda. And if you and I are apathetic about setting our priorities, someone else, usually the world, will set your priorities for you. Do you realize when people contact you, they typically contact you about what is most important to them versus what is most important to you. In the same way, when the world contacts you, it's going to contact you with what's most important to the world instead of what's most important to you as you filter that through the grid as one who is a Christ follower. So we say, well, what kind of slogans? What kind of philosophies? What kind of ideas do you and I buy into? How about this one? You are what you have. You are what you have. 
And so for you, it shows up. The conviction of you are what you have shows up in what you drive or what you own or what you buy. And you think that your significance is based on material things which end up being empty. How about this? Do it if it feels good. You say, oh, well, I'm saved by God's spirit, but I'm going to go back to just doing what feels good in my flesh. And the culture says, just do that. And so I'm going to go ahead and try to do something that feels good. Maybe you think to yourself, the majority, well, maybe if everybody believes something, maybe they're right. And you begin to let the majority decide for you instead of the word of God. And you think that this becomes subjective, that you can basically say, mm, I don't know if I want to do that because it just seems like all the rest of everybody else thinks this way. But the Bible says something different. And you begin to buy into the false philosophies of our culture. You'll remember the first rule of business ethics is that there is no rule of business ethics. Isn't that right? But it's so interesting that in, in modern times we've watched that at first business ethics said, do what is right for you and your company. Just It doesn't matter how it affects other people, but you do what's right for you and your company. But they left out social responsibility. It's interesting to me that the business culture in terms of business ethics is swinging away from just doing what is right only for them. And it's swinging back now to get, get the in, the, the in Put from people that that you and I can contact companies in ways we've never been able to before. You can tweet about them. You can do all sorts of things. And they're now swinging back in business ethics to the realm of social responsibility. In many ways, they're beginning to follow the golden rule that we have to consider others as more important even than ourselves. That's interesting to me because what has been steady for so many years in the business culture is beginning to realize that maybe... God had it right all along. Maybe for you, your life and your priorities are that you're child-centered. And it hasn't fully dawned on you yet that your children are welcome. They're just welcome participants in your home, and they don't stay there forever. But you're making your life and your schedule and everything all about them. And that's not necessarily the best thing for them to learn. Oftentimes, it's not good for us to get everything that we want. But we live in a culture that says, provide, you have to have this for your kids. You have to do these things for your kids. And you begin to become child-centered. And then they begin to realize that maybe life can exist all about them. And they become less and less God-centered. And let me just encourage you in this room that you're to be, as parents, the role of God in their lives when they're young. That you teach them and you correct them, and you discipline them in the Lord, and you, you raise them in the way that they should go in the Lord. That's our job as parents. Because the day comes when they leave the house, when they, they leave the nest, they've got to know that they still answer to an almighty God, Jesus Christ, in whom is the fullness of God. And they need to love him, which is what we want so much, right? By priority anyway. We really want our children to love the Lord. We really want our children to have character value in them. But what our world sells so often in is to make them the center of the universe which works against character development. And it's hard, but do we buy the philosophy of our culture? Do we buy the truth of Scripture? Listen, God's authority trumps government 
or the majority or politics or the culture or your peers' opinions or the school board or free enterprise for that matter. God's priorities, his authority trumps all that stuff. He is the one who's the most high and he's given us the right rules for living here. So let me ask, are you being led in your life by false convictions and is it showing up in your priorities? Let me ask it a different way. In what ways do people spoil you or, or, or they take you captive through false ideologies which have left you spiritually empty? Have you run after wine? Have you run after women? Have you run after wealth? Have you run after wisdom? Only to find that those things can in the end still leave you empty. What common or cultural beliefs do you find yourself operating in that are contrary to God's authority? You say, I know what God says about this, but because the culture has gone this other way, I'm going to go this other way. And you find yourself, I have been taken captive. I'm being drugged along in the captivity of a false theology, a false philosophy, false ideology. God says, turn, to turn back to him. In the Old Testament, Solomon, one of the greatest kings in all of Israel, he was given the gift of being wiser than anybody else on earth. God also made him wealthy. And so Solomon, in his, in his wisdom, he pursued wisdom to its end. And then he pursued wine. He said, I want to find out what does wine give me, the delights of the heart. I want to find out what can wine, can it bring meaning and significance to life. And so he pursued wine. And then he pursued women. And he said, maybe I can just pursue many, many, many concubines, many wives, most often wives through arrangements in the culture where you'd make a contract and then you would inherit a wife because it was the reward of making a contract with another nation. But he said, I'll pursue women and find out if just gratifying my flesh is going to bring me significance. And then he pursued wealth, and he was more wealthy than any king in Israel before and any king in the world in that day. He was far wealthier than all of them. And after pursuing all these things, and after attaining all these things he pursued, he still felt empty. Every day in our culture, people are pursuing wealth, or at least the Powerball dream of it, right? And they're looking for peace in alcohol or drugs, and then they're hiding behind intellectual pursuits because it stalls the option, it stalls the compulsion to have to step forward in faith, so you hide behind just more and more and more intellect. And many people are looking for God in a skirt or in a pair of jeans trying to find a human with a human soul to be the soulmate for them, even though God is the one who created their soul. And Solomon did the same thing. And at the end, this is what he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. He said this, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So at the end of everything, he says, listen, here, I've pursued all these things. I've investigated them thoroughly. I've drank of them deeply. 
I've gratified them in every way I can. I've saved and spent in the way to completion. And the end of the matter is this. If you want meaning in life, significance of life, not just the frustration of life, then fear God and keep his commandments. What is he saying? Don't buy into the philosophy of your culture. Don't buy into the philosophies of the world. But get your priorities straight. Make God number one. And the last of the smart checkups that we'll look at is that you and I need to check our securities. Where do we find our security and, and what things can we put security? What are the securities that God has given us that bring us into wholeness where pursuit of the world and all of its ideologies will leave us empty? It's now saying what will work to pursue God so that we experience deep wholeness on the inside. We not only experience holiness because of what Christ has done on the cross, but now he's saying don't continue to live in wrong ways, but rather I want to take you on the inside and bring complete wholeness to your inner man, to your inner woman, and make you significant in who you are. Paul says it this way in Colossians 2, beginning with verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Where is our security it's God who brings us into deep wholeness that we long for. God that brings us into the deep wholeness that we, we so want. We were formerly ruled in our flesh by our spiritual condition. So God circumcised us, not physically. Remember in the Old Testament, the physical circumcision of the males was the sign that they were a son of the Most High God, that they were part of the nation of Israel. They're the only nation who did it. But in the New Testament, Paul is now saying that in the Old Testament where it was a physical act of the flesh, but the heart could have been far from God, in the New Testament now, God comes along through Christ's work on the cross, his triumph on the cross, and that power has victory over our flesh, and he has internally circumcised us spiritually. And because of that, he has made you and I spiritually alive. It's a beautiful thing. So as we check our securities, we got to realize, well, what are, we, what are we checking? First of all, we have complete salvation. It says that God made you and I alive. We were formerly spiritually dead, but God made you and I alive in him. It says again that we were buried, we were raised, we are alive. The first of our spiritual securities is that we have complete salvation. The second one is that we have complete forgiveness that he forgave our sins. See, the word there that he's talking about when he forgave our sins, the word they're talking about is that, uh, regarding the debt that was against us, it was like a promissory note that because of our sin, we had a promissory note, a debt that we had to pay, and we had defaulted on it. We could not pay it. We had, there was nothing we could do to pay back that debt. It was so great. And we were unable to do it. This promissory note, this condemnation was against us that we defaulted on. But God comes along through Christ and listen, he obliterated that debt. Paid it off in full. Not only that, 
walks us into his victory. It's a beautiful thing. He obliterates our sin debt. Let me ask you, have you let God obliterate your sin debt? Or are you still living in the conviction of your own sin? Are you still living under the conviction that you are a sinner who has not been saved? Are you still living under the conviction that you are what you've done instead of you are who God declares you to be? And when God declares us to be who we are, we have the power of his Holy Spirit so we no longer have to walk in the acts of the flesh. So when you and I are tried or we're tested or we're tempted before we were under compulsion, under conviction, going to obey and fail those tests every time. But because of Christ, we begin to build up how we live in him and how we're rooted in him and how we walk in him. And you and I fail less. We walk more. And that day comes when we'll be face to face with God and we'll see him, the invisible God, as he is. Not only that, but we have complete victory. Complete victory. Check your securities. Do you have complete victory? That God is saying, listen, you're going to come along in my triumphal procession. And the beautiful picture of a triumphal possession was that when you conquered people and it, it led to a triumph, that what would happen is they would take all the captives in that triumphal procession, but the people who were right there with the victor in the triumphal procession, it was a procession of reward, not a procession of condemnation. And that as Jesus has declared this triumph through the cross, over all the powers, over all the authorities, over all the condemnation that you and I get caught up, we are part of that triumphal, rewarding procession. So let me ask you a question. Do you have eternal security? Because Paul is saying, listen, through Christ alone, I am spiritually made whole. I have the power for daily living, and I can identify and resist false ideas so that they don't capture me and lead me further than I wanted to go and keep me there longer than I wanted to stay and cost me more than I wanted to pay. But that you and I are rooted, we are built up, and then we strengthen the church. Why? Because we love the church. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me just for a minute, just concentrating on your own life? Maybe in your life you've been living in a way where, where you have been giving a false ideology to everybody else. You've been saying, you're fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But you're not. You're not fine. You're empty. You're unhappy. You don't feel whole on the inside. And maybe the reason is because you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never finally surrendered and said, God, I give you me. And so maybe today is the day of salvation for you. And so maybe right where you're seated, you just need to pray a prayer like this. You can just pray it right after me. Just bow your heads, close your eyes, not distracting anybody else around you. But if that's you today, you just pray, Jesus, today I give myself to you. I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation. Make me spiritually alive. I believe that you died on the cross, that you were buried, that you rose to new life, and that you were God. And so today, Jesus, as I am, right where I am, I give you me. If you just prayed that prayer, will you raise your hand? Anywhere around the room that you would just raise your hand up. We've got some friends who'd like to give you some information based on that decision that you made today. You just raise your hand up and they'll find you. God, we're so grateful for you in our lives. We're so grateful for your work on the cross. Thank you, God, that you free us 
from false convictions so that we can live rightly with you. Thank you, God, that you love us, that you have rooted us. And now, God, may we be a church, we be people who are built up, that set our priorities straight, and we begin to live out of the deep wholeness that you begin to walk in our lives. We love you, Lord, and we love your church. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.